Sullivan and the Penguins have an all-new coaching staff under Sullivan. But Sullivan didn't pick them. And I'm wondering what that means. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. I'll be over at Heinz Field today covering the Steelers training camp. I was at PNC Park a couple nights ago covering the Pirates, but I'm really feeling like talking hockey, and it's mostly because I don't know when will be the next time we'll be discussing moves that Jim Rutherford has made. And yes, I said moves that Jim Rutherford has made because he absolutely made these moves. This isn't some big insider information here. It was in the team's press release. General manager Jim Rutherford hired. Mike Vellucci, the head coach at Wilkes-Barre Scranton of the AHL, and Todd Reardon, the head coach of the Washington Capitals, now have new jobs as assistants in Pittsburgh. Mike Buckley, by the way, the goaltending coach, was retained and signed to a two-year contract. So I shouldn't say the whole coaching staff, but the coaching staff that you'll see on the bench, the guys that will be the most involved. Now, Mike Sullivan, in meeting with us via Zoom yesterday, did make it clear that he was involved in the interviews, that he was part of the process, and here's some of what he had to say. Well, Jim and I went through a pretty extensive process uh, to to try to find the right fits for our staff, and uh, we just feel strongly that these guys are a great fit. They're... uh, they're really good coaches, first and foremost. Uh, they're, they've have a wealth of experience in, in a lot of different capacities. They've won championships at different respective levels, so they know what it takes to win a championship. And uh, we felt as though through the interview process that these guys were a good fit for us. Now, again, nobody's lying here. Nobody's hiding anything. It's right there. And I have no doubt that what Sullivan said is accurate, that he was involved in it. He was in on the interview processes. But when you look at the histories of both of these men, Vellucci coming from Charlotte of the AHL has a history with Rutherford that goes back forever. There's a mutual trust, a mutual respect there. Reardon, of course, was here in Pittsburgh beforehand, before Sullivan, and was snapped up like this when the Capitals let him go. And that's all coming from the GM. Now, is the GM looking to apply pressure to Sullivan, or is the GM looking to instill more of what he felt was missing from the Penguins, whether it was the Montreal series or whether it was something that he saw, and I believe it, It's the latter over the course of many months. And that's that discipline. That's that fire, that leadership, that energy, that hunger, all those other words that Rutherford was throwing around in disgust 
after the Penguins went down in four games in a best of five to the Canadians and really didn't look all that put off by it, especially in game four. That's the kind of thing that leaves a bad taste, but also feels like it's more than just, hey, they had a lousy week and a half. You know, it's the kind of thing that you can look back over several months. You can even look back to something from the previous season and say, okay, there's something that's just not setting right here. And you can feel, if you're the GM, that maybe your head coach has to have some pressure on him. I'm throwing that out as a possibility. It's not one that I happen to believe. I believe Jim Rutherford when he says he's got one of the best head coaches in the NHL. The Penguins as an organization are very, very much behind Mike Sullivan. So then why would the GM be this involved in this? I'm going to speculate. Educated speculation, if you will, based on the conversations that I've had with a good number of the Penguins people, including Rutherford, in the past week and share my own viewpoint on this as principally being singular. He wants coaches who come in and kick hindquarters. Notice the plural. Sullivan is wired that way. Sullivan is the kick hindquarters type. He lives his life that way. He goes to get a bottle of Gatorade that way. I mean, from the vending machine. This is just who he is. If Patrick Hornquist were a head coach, he'd be Mike Sullivan. So he doesn't need any extra motivation. If anything, I am always of the feeling that Sullivan has to rein himself in from whatever it is that he really wants to say in a given situation. I'm not talking about to reporters. I'm talking about to his actual players. I believe that Sullivan has to constantly control himself because there are things that he knows can be done, should be done, and I'm quoting him directly here, the right way. And that he becomes immensely frustrated when they are not done the right way. Now, Vellucci, to the best of my knowledge and to the best of Taylor Haas's reporting ability and everything that she learned about his background in Wilkes-Barre-Scranton this past winter was that, yeah, he can be pretty tough on the guys. And these are kids who you're also trying to teach. But he doesn't take no for an answer, either verbally or out on the ice. He had accountability for when players weren't doing well. Reardon very much had the reputation in Washington, and I'm not guessing at this since he and I had this discussion just a couple of years ago 
in the bowels of Verizon Center. And although the discussion was off the record, so I'm not going to get into any kind of names, let's just say that Reardon was principally focused on which players were or weren't doing their jobs with a passion. Which players were or weren't doing their jobs with a little bit of fear. He's a terrific tactician. That's the way he's built up his brand over the course of his career. That's how he got the initial job in Pittsburgh. But he also has a feel for that sort of thing, and he's not afraid to play. And if this is where you thought I was heading, then you were right. Bad cop. Bad cop. I'm talking about the classic assistant coaches. Again, these guys, I'm not being disrespectful here, have impeccable hockey credentials, both of them, Veloci and Reardon. But they're not afraid to get their noses dirty. They're energized, in fact, by getting their noses dirty. And I'm not at all of the sentiment that either Jacques Martin or Mark Recchi were wired that way. I am not going to look like a fool here and dismiss the contributions that those guys made to championships here in Pittsburgh, never mind their own resumes. Martin's been head coach, assistant coach in the NHL forever, highly successful at that. Mark Recchi's in the Hall of Fame. Mark Recchi's a champion. But maybe they weren't, at this stage, the best fit for this group. And what this group needs more than anything is high-octane this or that. So you can come back and say very easily, well, Sullivan's that way. What's the problem? Here's the problem. Again, anybody who's regularly in a sports environment, particularly the participants, will tell you that if you're just hearing the same voice, if you're hearing the same commands, the same verbiage from the same voice, you can start to tune it out. Not tune it out as in lose respect, but it just all sounds the same. Mike Sullivan is very much the guy to say the same things. It's part of his personality. When he tells guys to play the right way, and then he comes and says it to reporters, and then 20 or 30 minutes later, I'll run into him and in the hallway, and we'll just be talking informally, he'll still be using those same words. He'll still be saying, yeah, but, you know, you saw, Dan, you saw that they weren't playing the right way. You know, he still talks like that. And if it's just coming from the same guy and the assistant coaches aren't chiming in, and I'm talking about Martin, Recchi, Sergei Gonchar, Brilliant defenseman, arguably should be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely not the kind of guy who's going to peel paint off the walls. That maybe now there will be a different approach or approaches to coaching, instructing, disciplining this group, creating that 
energy, that fire, the accountability that comes with that. So it doesn't all just come from Sullivan. If you ask me, that's what these hires were about. They're not about the GM setting up his head coach to fail. They're not about an expectation that his head coach will fail. They're being done to support the head coach. And that maybe even the head coach didn't realize that he needed that. Maybe the head coach was loyal to a fault to guys that he knew were working very hard and doing their jobs and came with all kinds of great backgrounds and everything else. And maybe, just maybe, the GM will know what's good for the head coach even better than the head coach did. When we come back, some baseball. Welcome back. Pirates lost 8-2 last night to the Cubs at PNC Park. Colin Moran hit a ball in the river. Some dude who just happened to be out there jumped in the river after it. Loved the moment. Uh, There's just not a whole lot of any kind of fan connection to anything that happens in sports in 2020, and it was neat to see what dramatics were required for that to happen. Joe Musgrove pitched pretty well to start out his first game in three weeks, coming off the injured list. Good for him. That's promising. That's something. Maybe he can salvage something from this very short season the rest of the way, as he certainly will if he comes out with the fastball command that he did. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. In normal times, one in seven people are food insecure, including one in five children. That's normal times. In the pandemic, it's a lot more than that. If you are in need of food assistance or if you'd like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org online. Spell out the first three words, pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. None of what I mentioned about last night's loss was what really resonated with me. It was more about Kevin Newman and watching him bobble, butcher, boot, whatever negative verbiage you'd like to attach to errors, a couple other balls in this game. Kevin Newman's regressed. And I have a feeling that Kevin Newman's kind of quietly gotten away with it because Josh Bell's regression means you're missing out on, you know, the 37 home run, 114 RBI pace that he had last year. Brian Reynolds' regression is going to be a little bit more prominent because Reynolds spent most of 2019 in a spotlight as a Rookie of the Year candidate, as somebody who was flirting with the batting title for a good while there in the National League. But by the end of 2019, it could be argued 
that Newman's season was just as good as either of those guys. He was just as good as a rookie as Reynolds. And he did a little bit of everything. He was sound, not spectacular, sound at shortstop. He made the plays he needed to make. He made a couple that were above grade. And he hit the ball. He hit like crazy. He hit to all fields. He had a little bit of pop. Looked like somebody who would be a real answer at a very important position for a lot of years. And maybe he still will be. Maybe this will all still work out. And I I always feel like I have to attach some kind of notation to any discussion about 2020 performance when it comes to baseball because of the severely truncated season. But, but, Newman's been bad. and There's nowhere to hide from that. And I'm not sharing anything with you here that he wouldn't robustly agree with. He's got six errors. He has 104 at-bats, five extra base hits. Did you know that? Did anybody notice that? The Pirates have been so collectively down offensively that I think we're letting a lot of individuals get a free pass. I think we're just saying, well, we all thought they'd stink and they stink, as if that's some kind of analysis. It's not. It's not. The way you really need to look at 2020 is what it means toward 2021 and beyond. And the scariest stuff that's happened this season aren't the wins and losses. It's been that guys that you thought you could count on to be part of a core moving forward have taken a big step backward. And I'm going to single out Kevin Newman because I haven't seen a consistent, steady approach from him. Certainly nothing like what we saw in 2019. I haven't seen him barreling up on pitches that last year he was narrowing his strike zone and just going after them, like mercilessly. It didn't matter if it was outer half, inner half. He made up his mind before the at-bat where he was going to be swinging, if he was going to be swinging. And when he did, he did so with Bad intentions. None of that's in play right now. None of that. Is it reasonable that a player who's struggling at the plate, and again, like you can look at his average and say he's doing okay. He's you know he's back up to two fifty, but last year he was well over three hundred. And again, with all this pop, one more time, a hundred and four at bats, five extra base hits. One home run. That is a player who is not hitting the ball with conviction or authority. Something's off there. Or worse, something was off in 2019. Newman did outperform his minor league history in 2019. That's not always a red flag. Some players, when they make it to the highest level of any sport, do get better because 
Just as an example here, if you're a point guard in basketball and you're great at making passes, and you're all of a sudden surrounded by players who know what to do with those passes and how to get open for those passes, you're going to become an even better passer. In baseball, you're seeing better pitches. You're seeing more pitches in the strike zone. You don't have to be as patient. You can think more aggressively. And there are players who do come up and do better in the majors than they did in the minors. Andrew McCutcheon's a great example of that. There's a bunch of them. So you don't have to look at what Newman did last year as an outlier unless he makes it one. Unless this regression is even half real. There aren't many games left in this long-lost, albeit really short, season. Among the many things that the Pirates would do well to figure out, I mentioned Musgrove trying to make the most of this remaining time, but he's not alone. There's a lot of company. When Ben Charrington talks about there are players here who we believe will be part of this team when it's good, Trust me, he's including Newman in that equation. But Newman's 27 years old. This isn't a child. Just because he was a rookie last year doesn't mean he's young. He's going to have to reestablish what his norm is as a major leaguer. And it's not, if things turn out ideally, what we've seen to date. When we come back, because it'll very much be on my mind, Day football. One last time, actually, maybe for the last time in my life, I'll be heading to Heinz Field for training camp. And I say that only because I hope they never have training camp at Heinz Field again, if only for the good citizens of Latrobe. The Steelers belong at St. Vincent College this time of year. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent injured people, automobile accidents, workers' comp, medical malpractice claims. When they make you a promise, they keep that promise. That's what they've told us. That's what they'll tell you, and they'll fulfill it. They've been doing that for over 80 years. LGKG, as they're commonly known, has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City. You can learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. Give you that number again. It's 888-842-5454. There'll be all kinds of fun football things to take in over at the stadium today. Chiefly Ben Roethlisberger, but also the rookies that are making a splash. Chase Claypool, Alex Highsmith, Anthony McFarland. If you haven't read Dale Lawley's piece on our website, DK Pittsburgh Sports. Dot com that's up there at the top of the homepage this morning. I can't recommend it strongly enough. Tons and tons of good info in there. 
Dale's been doing this a long time, and he does it with great passion. There's just a, a wealth of information in there. One of the items that he mentions is something that I want to kind of yank out of there and share with you today for emphasis. The NFL has conducted its training camps in a non-bubble environment. They've taken a ton of precautions. They told teams like the Steelers and the nine other teams that prefer to hold their training camps away from their regular facilities that they couldn't do that. So there were precautions that were put into place. There still are, but they weren't in a bubble. They weren't in a true bubble. So there were a lot of people forecasting disaster. Didn't happen. The NFL has now conducted 27,000 tests on the close to 3,000 players that are in training camps currently. Out of all of those, there have been four positive tests involving players. Four. That's virtually zero. It's not zero, but it's really, really close to it. How did this happen? How has the NFL pulled this off to date? They're not done, you know. Neither is the virus, and we haven't even started the NFL season, so I'm, I'm underscoring to date. This was supposed to be a disaster from day one, especially football, especially because they're the ones going out there smashing each other in the mouth. Not to get gross on you here, but, you know, spitting, sweating, whatever else, you know, there's definitely fluids being exchanged. They're not wearing masks out there under those helmets. How did they do this? The answer, the answer, and this is only from my own perspective of observing both Major League Baseball and the NFL up close through this process, is simple. They've been disciplined. There's nothing else to it. The coaches, the GMs, the doctors, the athletic trainers, the staffers that are around the team on a regular basis, the people who clean the building, the people who manage the travel. Baseball, they're running through a schedule right now that's like every other schedule. I mean, the Pirates played a two-game series in Minneapolis, for crying out loud. And then the Twins came here to play the next two games, as if there were anything like home field advantage for either side. On the surface, it seems like the dumbest possible thing they could have done. Maybe it still is the dumbest thing, but they got away with it. And the reason they got away with it is that everybody has stayed disciplined. I'm sure that's different for every team in every sport, where that comes from. But it's happened. It's worked. I'll say this until I'm blue in the face, but nobody 
has handled the coronavirus situation better than the one league that was the most heavily criticized for it, and that is Major League Baseball. There was no chance baseball was going to pull this off. And then the Marlins lose their minds and their sense of responsibility and everything else, but then it got a lot of publicity, and I think it scared a lot of people. Then these two Cleveland Indians lie to their teammates and go out for a while and and come back, and the rest of the Indians are waiting there for them with hatchets and pitchforks and want them kicked off the team and didn't end up succeeding in that. Got banished to the minors. One of them, Mike Clevenger, just got traded. Everyone paid attention to that story. Everyone got the lesson. It's one thing to have your head coach or even a team captain or whoever wag their finger at you about how you're supposed to behave. It's another thing to have this massive sense of peer pressure. They saw it with the Marlins. They saw everybody mocking the Marlins. They saw it with the Indians. These guys were valued teammates who instantly became ostracized. They were persona non grata after that. You want to talk about a way to scare a team player in a team sport, that is it. So now when they're sending you the message, hey, don't do this. Don't do something stupid here because you won't just be putting yourself and your family and your friends into jeopardy. You're going to be putting all of our family and friends, meaning the family that's here in this locker room, but also our extended families. That resonated. That worked. To swing this back to the Steelers, they're showing up at Heinz Field every day. But when they're done, when they're done working in that immaculately clean setting with all the safeguards that are in place, they all go home. Or to hotels or to wherever. They're all going somewhere that's not a controlled setting. So this is entirely, entirely about a sense of team responsibility and the discipline that requires. And I find that to be way more applause-worthy than the NHL and the NBA running off into bubbles. I'm sorry, I just do. I'm way more impressed by what's happened in baseball and football. That said, the rest of my day is all about football. Thank you so much for listening to this. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.